to tell you, I am so, <laughs> they are already fired up. I am so grateful that I serve with people like that, right? <laughs> they are always encouraging me. I really did get a lot of encouragement throughout this week. Just little reminders to me this week. There were so many of you that sent me little um, emails or made a phone call or just made a nice gesture to remind me that there would be a wave of God on its way, that you were praying for me and holding me for today. I even received this one email on Friday. It was very encouraging to me. It says, Somewhere deep within you is a song that plays softly and always. A song you can only hear if you're very quiet and very still. A song of life and dreams and wisdom. A call to adventure on a path that's uniquely yours. Take time to listen to the song of your soul and see where it leads you. This email was very encouraging to me because sometimes when I come into a day like this, I think, oh, I just got to have this great big word from God, right? When, when really, I just have to have my song. I just have to have the voice that God's put in me. And it maybe, just maybe, as I share the God that's within me, something will stir inside you, the God within you, as you relate to that. So that's really all I got to do today. <laughs> Will you pray with me? Gracious God, indeed, I thank you for all of these gentle reminders that you have placed a song on my heart. Give me the courage and the love and passion to sing it today for you and for these people. And let all of who I am bring out the song in them, glorifying your name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for those words of encouragement, because I needed it. Because when I looked at the lectionary scripture readings for today, all of them, as you can see, were on the concept of faith. Faith. Faith, you know, like the hardest challenge that we have, like the challenge of our calling, faith. And, of course, I think about the disciples, you know, those who walked and talked with Jesus, God in the flesh, and they sure had a hard time with this concept of faith. I mean, how many times do we read in the scripture when Jesus had to say, oh, ye of little faith. So, so apparently this is not an easy topic or an easy journey. But there, it is one. And Paul had this same daunting task when he was writing his letters to the Romans. Um, he wrote a lot of letters and covered a lot of things like um, helping those issues that came up in those first churches that he planted throughout the region. But he didn't plant this church. He hadn't even visited Romans. So instead, when he's writing his letter to them, he takes on this big topic, this theological discussion of faith. So if he can do it in a few chapters in Romans, I'm going to give my best and my 15 minutes of glory. <laughs> Now, I'm going to follow his lead. He starts with two people, Abraham and Sarah. Now, he starts with the story of Abraham and Sarah for one main reason. He is taking us all the way back to the very early scriptures, all the way back to the really early stories of our faith. And he's doing this for one reason, one main reason, and that is to clue us all in that there's a big promise out there that we're all a part of, that they are a part of something really big this really big story of God. And this promise is our promise. And so Paul has taken us back there and saying there's a promise, and Abraham and Sarah took that first calling into this promise, that first step into it. And we are to follow or to understand that. Now, when he goes on to uh, talk about this journey of faith with Abraham and Sarah, he stops for a little bit and he spends a few minutes to say... Um, what faith is, because that doesn't tell us a whole lot right there. And he starts, though, by saying what faith is not. He says, faith is not, 
founded in religious code. It's not putting your, you know, your bank account into that. It's not even necessarily right living. It's not those things. Now, Paul is intimately familiar with that concept. He's a religious teacher of his times, and he put all of his bank account on really following the religious code that he had been given and had grown up with. So he knew, he knew very intimately that putting his faith in the religious code or in right living or getting it all right was not the way to righteousness. And when Paul uses the word righteousness, he means right with God. Instead, if you put your um, faith in the religious code, you can really move more towards self-righteousness. And so he spends a little bit of time with that. He just kind of dashes it in. Actually, Romans 4.15, the, the, another interpretation that says the law can bring wrath or evil. And so he's just kind of sliding that in there, and so I didn't want you all to miss that. Um, <laughs> just to remind us, I think in our history we are very familiar with what um, law can do. So he tells us really quickly what faith is not, and then he goes into what faith is. He says faith is simply one thing, trusting God, right? Trusting God. It's faith in God and what God is doing, God and God's ways. And so this is faith. It's therefore a relationship. It's something that we do and trust. And he goes on to say, so you don't have to earn it. It's just something that's already in you. It's, It's part of your heartbeat. It's pulsing through your veins, it's, um, it's a lot like love, right? You don't need to find love. You're not going out there looking for love. We think we are, but we're really not. We're not going out there looking for love. Love is already in us, right? But then you meet that person and, ooh, and it starts fluttering. The love that's within you starts coming alive, and then you fall into love. That's a lot like faith. It's that inner churning. It's that inner calling. It's that inner restlessness, And then when you feel that little tug of God, you leap into faith. Faith is within you. It's part of that, and we get that from this journey. Now, let's go back to our grandparents of faith. Um, In the story that we pick up in Genesis 12, 1 through 9, it's before their name change. Now, get this. God changes their names from Abram and Sarai at the ripe old age of 75. Somewhere in this journey, he changes their name to Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah mean father and mother of us all. Now, he did this when they were 75 to 100 years old. A lot of humor there (laughs) with not a child in sight. But he changes their names, so we see very quickly that God's got humor. Uh, So there's this changing of the name. Now, what he also shows us in this early phase of faith is that it's not a destination. It's a journey. This leap of faith will make us well. This leap of faith will save us. Let me show you some scriptures that Jesus say that echo this. Jesus says in Luke 7.50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Matthew 9.22, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. Matthew 9.2, take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. Mark 2, 11, rise up, take up your mat, and go. Mark 10, 52, go your way. Your faith has saved you. And I love this one. John 5, 6 through 8, do you wish to get well? Take up your pallet and walk. Did you know the Latin word for salvation comes from the word health, solace? It is, to me, whole, to be integrated. That is salvation. 
And so it's not necessarily about getting it right. It's about being whole. And this is, means that when God called Abraham and Sarah, we're reminded that God's calling us to this promise of something big. This promise is about a mission that God has, a mission to return us to the promised land. This mission. We find this in chapter 12 of Genesis because in very early in Genesis, in chapter 3, 4, and 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, we have given or sold out our right to the garden, the heaven on earth. And we did it because we wanted to taste something for which we did not know, which is evil. And so off we go. And then God comes back and says, but I have a promise for you. And you're going to participate in this promise. And I'm going to woo you and draw you back into the garden. And together, we are going to make heaven on earth. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> Keep going. Okay, so this, this, let's go back to this uh, the little journey with Abraham and Sarah. Because i got to tell you, I was laughing out loud when I first looked at it. Because they take off. They have all their possessions, right? Now, if they have a lot of possessions, and we do see that they're picking up a whole lot of stuff, and they're packing all this stuff, that means that, means that it, didn't, um, it didn't mean that they hadn't accomplished a lot. In their life, they had already accomplished quite a bit. They had all these goods, and they had all this stuff. And so before you think or that you have to be some superhero to step out, or super shero to step out in faith, um, I want to remind you that they were 75 years old. They had all these things. They had accomplished quite a bit. The real reason that they probably stepped out or went into this unknown land had probably more to do with this restlessness. At 75, the only thing they didn't have that they could call their own was a child. And at 75, they were probably fairly resigned to the fact that it wasn't going to happen. But there was this restlessness, this yearning inside. And I think it was more about this, the thought of, Would it really even matter? Does my life really even make a difference? Do all these things that I've acquired, are they going to give me longevity? Is any of it really going to matter? I think that was probably more the thoughts that were going through their head when God appeared with this promise. And so God was able to offer something in this promise that no one else had given. Immortality and a purpose. This promise of God This journey, which is not a destination but a journey, is because God said, I will give you three things. A name, a nation, right? And you will be a blessing. Why? So you can become a blessing to others. Immortality and a purpose. A job and a friend. you got to love God for that, right? But here's, here's where it gets sticky. Okay, okay, here's where it gets sticky. <laughs> This is the part that just makes me bust a gut. Okay. <laughs> so we look into their journey, and we go back into Genesis, and we see. We see that here they go. Put that signpost on their doorknob. Go into the promised land. Pack up all their things. Off they go. 75 years old. And off they go. And they travel north and south and east and west. They even take time to stop and invoke the name of God, pray and worship along the way. And then God says, oh, hey, see this land you're traveling all on? Isn't it beautiful? It was the land I was talking about. It's the land that I will show you. I want to show it to you because you're never going to have it. 
<laughs> it is the land for your descendants. Once again, a little chuckle, chuckle, because, you know, there's 75 years, no kids to be found. But it's the land for your descendants. So they join the ranks of all of our faith teachers that they go to the mountaintop and see but not quite get. And so this is that crazy journey of faith, right? So we hear that uh, faith is a journey, and we hear it has risk because we know that they drug all these things, and they had to take a chance into this unknown land, and they travel. What causes us to risk it all? I think that there's two things that come in the way of faith, and it's fear and complacency. Those are the obstacles, fear and complacency. If they would have stayed in Haran, they would have been settling for the mentality that said, I am satisfied with the status quo. If we stay in Haran, it'll be like saying that everything I was taught in Sunday school, all the theology I was given there is all I ever need to know about God. If we get stuck in Haran, we are saying that everything the pastor told me about the Bible is all I ever need to know about Scripture. If we get stuck in Haran, we will never become and step into the promise that was our very own, the heartbeat and the song that was put on our very own heart. Amen. Don't get stuck in Haran. Take the risk. It's a journey. It's a leap. It costs something. (laughs) Okay, one more point. One more point. (laughs) And then I promise to take it home. Okay. Fear and complacency are the two obstacles. But guess what is not an obstacle of faith? Doubt. What got them kick-started? It was the doubt that any of it meant anything. The doubt that any of their life would matter. The doubt that the space and air that they consumed in their life would give life. Right? So it was doubt where they began this journey of faith. It was that relationship, because doubt gets us in a dialogue with God, because we start asking questions. We start searching and seeking for the truth. That's doubt. And my favorite story about doubt and how it can lead to faith is the story of Peter walking on the water. All right, Peter's in a boat with all of his peers, and off into the distance, there's a man walking on water, and it appears to be Jesus. And he says... If that's you, Lord, tell me to come. And Jesus says, it is I. Come. And he takes that little step of doubt. And that little step of doubt. And that little step of doubt that diminishes fear and leads him into a journey of faith. And he sees Jesus the one that says, my forgiveness goes before you. You don't have to, you aren't living by getting it right because you can't be destroyed by getting it wrong. So just step out in doubt, right? But then here comes the wind. Here comes the wind. And it was fear that sank him. Not as doubt. Not as doubt. So doubt gets us out of the boat and into this journey of faith. It's that favorite prayer, I think the most poignant prayer in Scripture, where that man who's trying to make sense of it all looks over at Jesus and he said, I believe. Help my disbelief. Amen. Okay, I've got a story for you. It comes from one of my favorite authors. Her name is Rachel Naomi Raymond, and this is found in her Kitchen Table Wisdom. She writes this. My backyard on the slopes of Mount Tom... 
Tomapayas in northern California is actually a very small meadow. In the summer and fall of every year, a stag visits at dawn and at twilight. This is quite a thing for someone who grew up in Manhattan. This year, he has six points on his antler, and last year he had five. He's, he's heart-stopping. Actually, I did not plan to have a stag. I planned to have a rose garden. The year after I moved here, I planted 15 rose bushes, gifts from my friends. It was a lot of hard work, but I could see it in my mind's eye. Just like I'd seen it in those magazines, the rose bushes would bloom. And this late spring, for a month, the garden was glorious. Then those roses started disappearing. Puzzled, I eventually realized that something larger than bugs was eating them and became determined to catch it in the act. So getting up at dawn and glancing out my window, I was transfixed by seeing the stag for the first time. He looked like an illustration in one of my childhood books. As I watched in awe, he unheardly crossed the yard and browsed among the roses and then delicately ate one of my Queen Elizabeths. <laughs> Every year then, I have had to make a difficult choice. Am I going to put up higher fences and have these roses, or am I going to stand ten feet from the most incredible animal, the stag, in my back door. Every year so far, I have chosen the stag. After two years of watching each other in this pane of glass, I can now even sit outside as he dines. If I tell people this, they say in disbelief, you mean you let this deer eat your roses? You know, I had thought I was planting rose bushes in order to have roses. It seems I was actually planting rose bushes in order to have an half an hour of silence with this magical animal every morning and every evening. Church, don't let anyone fool you. This journey of faith is difficult. The promise is always before you. It's always ahead of you. It took 25 years of doubting and struggling with God, 25 years of this journey and traveling and life, before Abraham and Sarah had really any tangible results of this promise in their hands, before they had this child. It is not an easy road. God doesn't promise us a rose garden. God promises a life, an abundant life, one that's full of surprises and even full of answered prayers that you didn't even know to ask for. God says, but I come that you might have life. I come to journey with you. I have come, Emmanuel, God with you in the flesh, to walk this walk with you. And I love you. And I will not leave you alone. We will do this together. We will participate in the greatest work you can imagine. Church, pick up your mat. Your faith will make you well. Amen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs>